you know what? I'm the good guy. I'm a good guy. This is The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. You know what today is. Oh, you know what it is. It's episode 33-0. You know what that means on this podcast? A party, a party. So let's get going. What's up with your voice? It's not great. Isn't it? It sounds great in my ear. I mean, yeah. this is this is the 30th episode. You would think that, that we would be, you know, party hats and that same bit we've done 14 times in 30 Hello. episodes. But we're not because what? I'm on vacation. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, for the love of Lord. Uh, I'm not in this week with the Levitard show, and I am happy about it. So I am, I'm, I'm with my toes in the water, ass in the sand, not a worry in the world, cold beer in my hand. I am, is that uh, a country lyric? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you wanted a party production and I was like, no, we're not doing this because okay. I got something to do. That's fine. We're going to, but uh, you know, don't you miss 35 because episodes ending in zero and five, traditionally we party, we party. So we're going to put that off a little bit, but hey, before we get started on this episode, and it's a big one, it's a special one, which I'll tell you about in a minute, but I wanted to mention, uh, hark back to the last episode when uh, you were exoriating me for uh, my behavior at a restaurant table mm-hmm. and a lot of people took that the wrong way and all of a sudden <laughs> let's I'm the uh, bad guy. first first fill people in who, if you didn't happen to listen to last week's episode and if that's true what are you doing go back and right. listen to last week's episode but if, if for, for the people that don't know why don't you refill their drink to keep the restaurant puns going there you go um we were uh, we were at lunch i spilled a little cup of hot sauce and, you know, I didn't clean it up right away. And Christopher swooped in and started cleaning it up. I'm like, what are you doing? And long story short, you know, I, with no disrespect meant to the um, wait staff, uh, I, I think that, you know, that's sort of not my job to clean up a mess at the table. And anyway, a lot of people got so upset with that. Twitter blew up at me and I got comments and bad reviews on the podcast about, well, you're too good for the waiter and they're in. You know what? I'm the, I'm the good guy. I'm a good guy. <laughs> and, uh, and I love waiters and waitresses. The good ones. The bad ones I have no time for. But um, I saw a tweet that somebody said that we should have you go through one shift as a waiter. Like right. we, I would not be a good waiter. If we have any listeners out there who are managers at local restaurants in South Florida, what would you say to Greg Cody doing one shift as a waiter so we can just – let him even shadow somebody. We don't want like him to ruin anybody's meal. Just let him get a taste of what it's like to be a server. And if he thinks it's as, quote, easy as he thinks. I have to tell you, I would be, I am not uh, predisposed to be a waiter uh, or a waitress for that matter, because uh, <laughs> I have no patience. You know, if, if, if I'm, a po- you know, poised with my pen and paper to take your order and you're hemming and hawing and umming and eyeing and looking over the menu for the fifth time and you can't decide, I'd be like, come on now, Christ, give me an order here. That's funny because you are the first person that you're the one that always sends the waiter away because you're not ready to order. Like, I love how you're saying you would be the waiter that hates that person while being, you're the person in the group 
that like everybody kind of will look around and be like, yeah, I'm ready to order. You ready? I'm ready. Like, even, even if I'm not ready, I'll be like, I'll just go last. You guys go ahead. I, I'm ready. You will make an awkward interaction with the waiter and be like, yeah, I'm not ready actually. I need another right. minute or two. And then they'll go away. And then two minutes later, you're looking at your watch like, why aren't they back yet? I'm ready now. Right. But that's ultimately, that's me respecting the waiter. I respect his time. I don't want to keep him waiting there while I um and ah and hem and haw about what I'm ordering. The vibe I always get from you in those settings is I'm not going to be hurried. I'm Greg right. Cody. That's true. I'm not ready to order yet. So no, I will not order right now because right. you've walked up to the table and decided that it's time to order. I will order when I'm ready to order. Right. And it's not that I'm Greg Cody. It's that I'm the paying customer. Anyway, I feel like I'm digging myself in deeper here. The long story is, <laughs> don't long be mad story, at me, everybody. The long story short is, is that I stand by everything I said last week, except just don't hate me, like me. Right, exactly. Okay, exactly. Let me uh, live the way I want to live, and it's going to be terribly, but just love me anyways. Exactly. Love me for who I am. Hey, um, uh, if you all listened last week, we had Izzy Gutierrez from ESPN on, and um, – we talked to him for a good long time, and, and only half of it got in last week. It was the frivolous half, the sportsy half, the fun half. And, and we're going to get sort of serious with Izzy this week because, um, you know, in the past five years, his life has under, undergone a lot of changes. He's, um, he's come out as gay. He's uh, been very revealing of his personal life. And he's had some, some turmoil in that personal life, including some, some recent heartache that he shares with us. And, and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty gratifying. And, and I'm very grateful for Izzy to uh, be so honest with us on the podcast here. He had appeared on the Lauer After Hours podcast um, a month or so ago and, uh, and was extremely open. And, and I heard that and I had to have him on to um, talk more about that. So hopefully you all will, um, will really enjoy that. And of course, there's a, you know, a Mount Greg Moore <laughs> later in the show, but uh, Izzy's going to be the meat of the show, and uh, and we're so happy to have him on. I have to tell you, after listening to the Lauer After Hours podcast you were on, I could use a laugh, to be honest with you. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, was, that was depressing. That blew my mind, uh, some of that stuff, Izzy, because, I mean, I, you know, I knew that you and David weren't together and what had happened and everything, but I didn't know what had happened. You know, I didn't know well, the, the, yeah. the very end, and I'm just so sorry belatedly to to hear it yeah, i appreciate so. it it's um you know it was one of those deals where it was just um for those who i don't know if you don't know the story um my ex-husband and i split up and uh it was very seldom very suddenly like it was, it was unfaithful and he tried to commit suicide and all of that all of that at once was just a lot to to just have to process and it was sudden like i didn't know anything that was going on with him um and then just to hear the news, it just sort of makes you sort of uh, process everything, you know, and just sort of re rethink everything and just go. And it was just like, it was, it was tough. And like, I just figured being the only way that was going to be any sort of positive in the long run is if, you know, people found out about it and it was helpful to somebody because it was to live through and to, um, you know, to experience at the end there. So, you know, that's why I just feel like I've been an open book for like, 12 years now 11 years now and right. so or actually more like six years now never mind and so yeah just down to do it's it whenever. inspiring in so many ways for like just even people that you know that have different struggles like there's so many relatable points in that story yeah. 
Yeah, I agree totally. Like, and there's some family stuff in there. There's a, you know, just the idea of like I don't know, just the idea of being able to sort of uh love yourself and understand uh what it means and just like and just being in relationships and stuff like exactly being stuck in a relationship. That's something that a lot of people can can mm-hmm. relate to. You know. Yeah. So, oh yeah, for sure. And and you know, gay and straight. I mean, so many people walk into imperfect marriages. Most of us and. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then sometimes they go off the rail and sometimes it's nobody's fault. Sometimes it is, but the person whose fault it isn't, you know, bears some of responsibility for reasons right or wrong. I mean, everything's so complicated. And, and for you to open up about um, all of that stuff is, is I think it's helpful to a lot of people, especially somebody in the public eye like you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's like it's basically the real only reason I did it. Right. Just just for that and see if anybody can gain from like I remember people coming to me and telling me randomly like, that I was like important to them or was inspiration to them. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I haven't done anything. Like, I just <laughs> talk about my own experiences. That's all I do. And they're just like, well, yeah, nobody else does that. At least not anybody that's, you know, that's one of us or whatever and doesn't talk about it openly. And so it's like, all right. So if that helps, I'm down to do it. Is that cathartic? I, I got to get off this, but there's so much. No, you can stay on that side. I mean, it, it, I, I want to ask you, Izzy, is it cathartic to you? Like, like, you must get something out of being so open because a lot of people would find it pain too painful to talk about. But yeah, um, I gain a lot from it. I mean, it's basically my group therapy. If you think like, um, you know, Anthony, my partner now is, you know, asked me several times to go see a therapist and just, you know, and, you know, we've seen one together. We, I have, I've seen one or two on my own, but really just one session each. And, um, I don't know if I just don't have the patience for the buildup, you know, for the telling everything and then finding out what they have to say or whatever. And so I guess I just had been impatient about it. And so um, decided to just talk with others about it. And I think the time that I realized that that was the way to go was when we first actually did split up. You know, fortunately, I just reached out to ran not random, but several people just to let it out. And you know, there are times like that where you realize, you know, not who your friends are, but whether you have friends or not, right? Because if you don't have somebody to, to let all this out to, then you don't have anybody. And so I like looked around and I, you know, I talked to Dan and I talked to Tony Reale and I talked to a bunch of people that I know have like perspective and, and can sort of see things, you know, without the emotion, but still understand it. And that was hugely helpful for me. And, you know, even like I mentioned, my current partner, Anthony, at the time, like we, like he was just an outlet for a lot of these things and just being able to talk. And so when this, you know, when David um, very recently went into, you know, suddenly was in the hospital and into hospice care and passed away all within a matter of two or three weeks, I just knew that I had to talk about it with other people, but mostly other people had to listen because I couldn't let his life, our experiences together and our time together go to waste. Like there was too much to gain from it. And so to me, it's cathartic for that reason, but also because I get to just unload it all. And like, if you think about it, like we hold back so much random stuff in our lives, like just having a conversation with people at work you're constantly sort of telling yourself what you can and can't say. You know, there's things you say at home, you won't say at work and et cetera. And I think to have sort of no filter on that and just 
what you get back is people not judging you, but people saying, oh, yeah, I've done that. I've been there. That makes so much sense. And so that I think there's no way to replicate. Well, you know, it, it's where there's so many shades of gray in, in every relationship, the, the good ones, the bad ones, the ones that go from good to bad. And in, in your case, um, opposite all the resentment you may have felt toward David for, for his shortcomings, um, you also gave him credit, give him credit, I think, uh, that he gave you the gift of being able to reveal yourself and be true to yourself. I mean, right? He Absolutely. Right. He was the first person, um, you know, after meeting him, he was the only person, the first person who ever convinced me that I should come out, even though I was 31 years old at the time and knew it was just a matter of time before it happened. And again, this is not, this is not specific to, to LGBT people. I mean, anybody who is allowed to sort of love themselves and understand what that really means, um, I think is, is, is a gift you just can't give somebody. I mean, it's something you can't give yourself, you know, I think. And so um, I think just having him having that, him do that for me just opened up an entirely new world for me. It literally felt like an entirely new world for me. And then when I came out publicly in 2015, it was just, it, it just shackles and a lot of things that were in your own head, you just kind of let go and, and you just you sort of gain a confidence about yourself. And I think a lot of people, um, regardless of what their situation is, whether there's something that's making them feel less than, than embracing of themselves and constantly judging themselves. And I think the more you talk these things out again, you realize that there are so many people out there like you and they've gone through the exact same experience or similar experiences. And yeah, so it's just ridiculously helpful. Is, do you remember the exact day when you came out? Because it strikes me, it, it might've been right around exactly five years ago. It was 2015, September of 2015. Yeah, so it was five okay. years ago. It was, I got mad, it's funny, I just, uh, I just was reminded of this the other day because I wasn't good with anniversaries, but my anniversary was September 12th. And I came out eight days before that publicly. So it was, I guess, wow. September 4th, 2015. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, ha happy anniversary, if, that, if that's appropriate. Um, it, it's a great thing uh, for yourself that you did. And, and what I admire about it is that, you know, it, it must be tough to come out if, if you're the anonymous guy working in a bookstore, right? But, but you're a public figure speaking to millions of people, seen and heard on television. And not only that, you work in sports, which doesn't lead the league in uh, enlightenment at all times, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, when, when you think of homophobia and where it still exists, you might start with sports, uh, although not so much the NBA, thankfully. But I'm wondering if that complicated your decision to come out uh, or the timing of it, the fact who you were and what you did. So I want to say yes. And that is sort of the token answer, right? Because, um, you know, I go, I go back to college where you know, in the back of my mind, I knew I was gay, but would never even address it, at least not uh, seriously and not with myself, really. And so, you know, you start choosing career paths. And like going into to college, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Then I realized, no, nah, that's not really as fun. And so let's just go into journalism. And, uh, so, <laughs> and so, you know, it was almost like I was, I was creating that, that situation for myself because I felt like I could have been successful in whatever I chose. Um, and, and I chose that and it made, you know, and, and, and so I feel like I subconsciously did that to myself where it was giving me an excuse to not come out because 
I look around and I say, I know a lot of gay people who are not out in their professional environment and it's not healthy and they all have their excuses. And if you were to, if I were to give you the excuse, you probably wouldn't even put it on par with what mine is, you know, a, a gay male in a male dominated industry like sports. And yet in their heads, it is more than enough of a reason. And that's what kills me about this is there isn't enough. There isn't really good reason because you're just, again, you are just holding back on what you can be in terms of a person. And so to answer, you know, to the long version of answering your question is, yeah, it made it more difficult for me, but for so many countless other people, it doesn't really matter what is actually in front of you. It's all what's in your head and what you're willing to fight through and stand up to. Because even after the first time I did it, it doesn't end. Just because I came out to my friends and family doesn't mean that people at work knew. Just because the people at work knew doesn't mean that everybody that watches on TV every day knows. It doesn't mean that everybody I pass by every day knows. And so, you know, it's, it's, it happens. It's like it's almost a daily situation. The other day I was out at this, um, this garden area by my new place and there was a lady there who was, um, you know, tending to everything. And, you know, she asked me toward the end, toward the very end, hey, are you married? No. Oh, I was going to ask you if you and your wife wanted to come. And I did not want to have that entire conversation with her at the time. But those like sitting next to somebody in an airplane, like you just hey, they start asking questions and they assume things. And it's just like, well, you're going to have to straighten them out. Otherwise, you can't really finish the talk. And so right. all that stuff, it never it never ends. So for those people who sort of avoid it happening, it's for that. It's so they don't have to keep doing it over and over again, because it doesn't really get any easier, especially with people that you know. Do you just like play that differently based off the situation? If you're in the mood to like go down that whole path, like, or it's like, if it's just like a quick conversation, you'll just like keep it moving? Or do you oh, like- for sure. And I love, I love to do that every once in a while where it's just like, mm, yeah, no, I'm gay. And that's my partner over there. And they're just like, whoa, what? there's a like, combination of like fear and like, whoa, did I say something wrong? And like, or no, they, want, they want to make sure that you know that they're cool with it. So like, oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. If uh, this is harking back to the uh, interview I heard you do, if, um, if, if people aren't sure you're gay, you should uh, remind them uh, what went on to you proposing for marriage, because I think you yourself referred to it as one of the gayest proposals. <laughs> <laughs> in history could you just could you just retell that briefly because it involved yeah. it, it involved glee and yeah. and i was just smiling throughout it was just it sounded so fabulous you put together a flash mob tell that story yeah you. yeah so it was 2014 is when i proposed and um you know i couldn't just do it in any old regular way and just you know the song marry me by bruno mars well I mean, Glee at the time was all the rage, at least for us it was. Because it's a um, beautiful day. Yeah, and they did the duet, right? They did the, the guy and the girl singing it. Actually, they did a whole wedding ceremony doing it. And so I was like, you know what? That's great. Um, I have this friend named Marcy who she also was like, did a lot of my makeup for all my Halloween stuff on Around the Horns over the years. So she's been a great friend. And, and so I, she can sing. She can sing. Sounds just like Dolly Parton. And so I was just like, hey, do you want to do this, uh, this flash mob thing? And she's just like, okay, great. And so, you know, I set it up and had a couple practice sessions. David almost walked in on us one time on a practice session, had to really skate through that one. And I don't know how he didn't uh, realize what was going on. But, you know, we went to this one bar and it was called New Moon. It was, it was the only lesbian bar, technically. That's what they called it, even though it didn't really matter. 
um, in town. And uh, the owner there, Carol, was awesome. And she still owns another place here in Wilton Manor. It's called Apartment 9F. But yeah, so we started doing the song. And there was a point, you know, at one point you had the flash mobs work, right? Where you start with the little things that are in unison and then you start going further. And then, you know, people started walking around and, and finally getting... To, to the front of the stage and like David's kind of looking around first he thought he needed to get up and he was like wait no I should just sit here <laughs> and then um there's one part of the song where he says I'll go get a ring or something like that and so when I sang that part like my buddy Ray threw a ring up at me up on the stage and um yeah and then so he finally realized what was going on and then it all you know the song came to an end and yeah and I asked him and you know Carol who's again awesome the owner of the place she just popped open a bunch of bottles of champagne and and everybody there had some free drinks, and it was great. Man, you set quite a standard. I don't know if I'll ever do that again. I, hopefully, <laughs> I, I will have to at some point. Uh, <laughs> but that was um, – it's funny. I, I don't know if you experienced this, and this is something that I realized this at the time. I mean, I miss it now because I haven't flown anywhere since March, but I get really, like, my best ideas when I'm on an airplane. Like, huh. my best – and some of my most emotional thinking. Like, I don't know why. Like, there's times, I don't know if it's just looking out to the sky and seeing sort of the vastness of the world and all that stuff, but I just get really like sentimental on airplanes. Is it because you maybe pop open a, a drink or two? Because you get, I always, you get more drunk when you're on a plane just because of like the altitude, right? Like if you have two drinks on an airplane, like supposedly you're, you're more drunk than you would be. Wow. See, I didn't even, no, I mean, that, that was, that's not, does not come into my thinking because I was not the, the big drinker on planes. I am now. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. As I've gotten older, yeah, the, um, I, I, I drink on planes. That's what, it's my move. Yeah, well, they're so, you know, the tiny little bottle, you almost don't feel like you're drinking, you know. Give me a couple of those, you know. Izzy, I, I'm curious if, if there have been times when it's been tough to be live on the air with a smiley face because of things that were going on in your personal life. Um, definitely, there have been times and. It's funny because I've always been the person who doesn't really, I don't like to invite drama into my life. And I don't know how many people do, but you know, some people are just sort of, they just happen to, or some people really like it. And I'm the opposite of that. And I never, like, I always think that the smallest little thing, if it enters in personal life, if it enters your work situation, it's, it's an embarrassment. You shouldn't, you know, it should never happen, you know. You should never mix those two. You should be able to handle your business at home. That's basically the way I see it, right? Nobody needs to know what I'm going through when I'm at work. Um, but I think the time, it's crazy to think about, um, the time that I realized that I had been doing that and not putting myself first was right, at, it was literally the day after. So David and I, you know, found out what I found out. We had our, you know, our split and he had attempted suicide. Okay. And his friends found him, you know, whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't successful. That next morning I was supposed to fly. It was either Chicago or Minneapolis. I can't remember for a game. And I had the hardest time calling my boss to ask him not to go. Like I, I couldn't justify it in my own head. I was like, they're just going to think I'm some drama queen, like some, Oh, your boyfriend or your husband tried to kill himself. Blah. Like th I, I, that's, that's where my mind went was I don't deserve this time off. They're going to be critical of me. And you know, obviously without telling them every detail, um, I did. And they were fine with it, of course. 
right? But that, that's just where my head was even, this was, so this was 2016. This is where my head was even before 2016, the entire time. If it happened at home, it stays at home and I don't worry about it at the job. And so um, I probably learned to compartmentalize a lot that way, but I think that just happened growing up. Like I basically didn't have any sort of real connected social life because again, I'm holding things back. I certainly didn't have relationships, right? With, with girls or guys. And yet I was portrayed or I portrayed myself as this, you know, happy person. And I was, you know, but I was compartmentalizing. I was leaving the unhappy over here and just, I'm fine. I've got family, I've got friends, I've got job, I'm good. And I think that's what I did with work as well. I mean, I can't remember specifically, like I couldn't tell you the day or the game that this was happening back home and therefore it affected my performance, but I know it did. I know it did. I just didn't actually come face to face with it and admit it. Izzy, I've had the pleasure of meeting Anthony uh, and playing bad golf with him. And uh, I wonder um, how much he's meant to you and, and what he's meant to you, helping you navigate getting past David and, and dealing with what you had to deal with toward the end for David. Well, I got to be careful here because I believe he's within earshot. So I'm, I can't say too many good things. But, <laughs> but uh, I'll start with the golf game. Um, he hits it about 300 just like your son. So even though he wasn't as, not as sharp as Chris is in terms of uh, uh, some of the you know, iron play, but um, he, if he plays enough, he'll get there. Um, he's been huge. Like, he's been absolutely uh, tremendous for me. And I think it's one of the things that I definitely missed uh, before was just an emotional maturity from, from mm. the person I was with. And I think... Um, you know, since you like to give Dan a hard time about the age difference between him and Val, uh, AJ and I are 16 years apart. Uh, okay. He's 27, I'm 43. And uh, I'm sorry, AJ, Anthony, he goes by both. And um, to, to experience somebody that could teach me things on an emotional level, on just a, a human level, um, who is 16 years younger than me, I think was very eye-opening at the time. And, and while... David kind of opened the door to, to me being able to appreciate myself and love myself. I think, you know, Anthony just basically kicked it through, you know, because it just made me realize, you know, what I deserve and, you know, who I should be and how I should, you know, walk around confidently and stuff. And, you know, despite, you know, what you see on like uh, usually every other episode of HQ where guys or the, Dan and them are showing my shirtless pictures or whatever, despite all that stuff, despite my success, like, I've never been a confident human being, like ever. And so it takes a lot to get that out of me. And I don't think, and not, I don't think nobody has done that to the level that Anthony has done that for me. Wow, because you, you fake that pretty well, the, the, the confidence. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty You say that in a way like Izzy gives off arrogant. I mean, I don't think Izzy, I feel like Izzy's pretty modest. Like he's not like a, Right? Am I wrong, Izzy, or is my dad right I, here? I don't what, think it's that. I think he's just trying to say that I, you know, come across somewhat confidently at times. And I think it's funny because, like, Greg, when we worked together at Miami Herald, I don't remember, like, talking to you much outside of, like... My dad's really socially awkward, Izzy. Like, it's not just you. If, if he was socially awkward with you, just know he's like that with everybody. Yeah. Right. Well, right. the reason I, I bring yeah. that up is because, like, it's not that I was afraid to talk to you or whatever. I just never held myself up to the standard that you and Dan set. Like, I, know, I thought I was just some kid 
who got lucky and was able to write columns. And now I have to live up to the standard of Levitard and Cody. Like, that's terrible. I, could, I couldn't do it. And so, you know, I just basically, I didn't avoid you, but, right. you know, like, what am I going to say? Hey, did you read my column that you would have done better? Like, eh, you know, so <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess, yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember Edwin Pope uh, telling me, I forget how you came up in conversation, but Edwin Pope told me once that you had never come up to him and introduce yourself, which I think he took, he took it as sort of an insult to him. And I'm like, Edwin, why didn't you come up to Izzy? Uh, in, in other words, I, I'm socially awkward, like Christopher said. You know, I, I could have warmed up to you more than I did, but I feel like we really only crossed paths at like heat games. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, we didn't see each other in the office much, or I don't even know if we, people were done going to the office by that time, but um, probably so. Yeah, it's just weird how that how that works out sometimes. I used to think that you just hated me because <laughs> I used to because even like even before I became a columnist uh, when I was at the Heat Games or actually it was after I became a columnist and like we were we were basically like not fighting over but fighting over which seat who's gonna have which seat at the heat game and the heat would assign this to me and then in my head i'm just like well greg's not gonna be happy with that he's like the main columnist i'm just another guy and so it was yeah i just felt like you just thought i was mr you know full of myself and that i just i didn't couldn't really defend myself i want to let izzy go but i want to circle back around to um to a serious question Izzy, because i care about the answer and i know so many people do um your life personal life has has just overwhelmingly changed in the past five years. And um, through your honesty, you've picked up so many admirers and fans along the way, truly. And, you know, the, there have been such heartache and challenge that you've had to deal with as well. And you've been so upfront about it. Uh, I think people need to know um, how you've gotten through this emotionally, where you're at right now, and, and, and are you happy? Um, hmm. So right now, I think I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah, I, I definitely am. I think how I've gotten through this, and this is some of the stuff I talked about before, um, just leaning on Anthony a lot um, has been ridiculously helpful. Um, just opening up and just not being afraid of, of what, um, you know, what the listener is going to hear or what that person is going to think or judge. Um, I think that's all, all been very important to me. Um, you know, I, I think just having some perspective and just um, not really just realizing that it's not that your world as, as intense as it could be. Um, you are just the smallest part of this universe and nobody else is feeling those things but you. And so if you can give yourself a break and just recognize that it's not it's sometimes very often not worth as much stress as you're allowing it to happen or allowing uh, it to feel like. Um, then I think it, it would be better. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's something the, I've always considered myself a pretty selfless person, but the more selfless that you become and the less ego driven that you become, the happier you become because there's less, there's less stress and there's less worry. And, um, you know, and just having again, proper perspective with emotions and, and what's supposed to be important in your life. And that's something that, like I said, you know, Anthony's been very helpful with, my friends have been helpful with. And it's really weird because, again, like I've never been somebody who boosts myself up much. Um, it was really good to be around people who didn't really know me but thought highly of me. It was really good for my ego for a while. And when I didn't, you know, I didn't know I needed it, but I did. 
And so all of that together has just, um, yeah, has just put me in a place where I am very happy. Um, I feel like in an odd way, and I don't know if I actually wrapped up the story, but my ex-husband David did pass away. Um, and in terms of closure uh, in my personal life, I don't think I could have asked for much more. Um, it was sudden and it was heartbreaking and it was really sad, but to be able to speak to him before he, before he passed, to be able to, to spread some positivity when it came to him and the things that he offered to the world and just, you know, to be able to talk it out with people and, and recognize that like, not only do, was I able to help other people, but I've like, I've been through something like I've, it's crazy. I never used to think of some like a wise old person, but I've been through some, you know? And so like, I feel, I feel like I have stuff to offer now. And so, um, yeah, just very happy. A lot of things, you know, had to sort of come together at just the right time, but definitely very happy. And thank you for asking. Well, keep, um, keep being open. And, and you joke that, uh, if you start a podcast, it's going to be called TMI too much Izzy because, uh, People, people may or may that's not want to. That's a good name for a podcast. It is good. Uh, it is good. ESPN, see what they think about it. Let me know that's if you good. need a producer. You got it, man. <laughs> Thanks, Cody. Talk to you later. Really appreciate it. Izzy, thanks very much for your honesty. Um, sharing that kind of story uh, is going to help a lot of people who are going through the same thing and and think they're alone, but they're not. Uh, so, so thanks again very much. Uh, and now, hey, we're under your favorite part of the podcast, and you know it, it's Mount Gregmore. Well, Mount Gregmore reaches the M's, the 13th letter, putting us halfway through the alphabet. And the M's are big, they're mmm, mmm, good. We present the five most popular first names of every letter over the past century based on government records. Then, give you the Mount Gregmore of the number one name. So, number five, Margaret. Number four, Mark. Number three, Matthew. Number two, it's the number one overall female name, Mary. Like that's a classic. The number one M, no surprise. It's the fourth most popular of all names, Michael. Okay, that makes sense. Now, the Mount Gregmore of Michaels. No Mikes or Miguels allowed. Only Michaels need apply. Honorable mention, shout out to my own son, Michael, whom I had to exclude from consideration. Well, I mean, technically, he's an honorable mention because you just mentioned him. Well, but then I said I had to exclude him from consideration. But you mentioned him. Our honorable mention. Other than Michael. Was the sexy mafioso protagonist of the Godfather films, it's Al Pacino's Michael Corleone. Solid. And now number five. Simply put, the most successful, most decorated Olympian of all time, not just in the pool, but any sport, won 28 medals, 23 of them gold. Both records. Michael Phelps. I feel like Michael is a modern name for this type of list. Like, I would expect it to be like Melvin. <laughs> Michael is an unusually modern name, uh, still very popular for this contest. And number four, he was the regional manager of the Scranton branch of the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Yes. Smug, self-important, but ultimately lovable, I guess. Star of a thousand gifs and memes. Is it gifs or gifs? Gifs. 
star of a thousand gifts and memes. From TV's The Office, it's Steve Carell's Michael Scott. That's what she said. Yeah. Number three, starred in TV's Family Ties and was Marty McFly in the Back to the Future trilogy. Later an activist after being diagnosed with Parkinson's. Diminutive and beloved, he's Michael J. Fox. I am digging the M's. Digging it, baby. I'm telling you, they're quality. Quality letter number two. Cultural icon of the 20th century and the most awarded figure in the history of music. The king of pop. From the Jackson 5 to Thriller, he moonwalked into history. Also an astoundingly peculiar man who lived among llamas and children at Neverland, but we won't go there. Michael Jackson! Had to make it weird at the end, didn't you? And now number one. As if you didn't know. By consensus, the sneaker goat, greatest basketball player of all time, with a cultural influence well beyond sports, six-time NBA champ, six-time finals MVP, 10-time scoring champion, the one, the only, Michael Jordan. Bah. How about that? I uh, Honestly, I'm, I'm letting people peek behind the curtains here for a second, and I'm curious your thoughts. I really went back and forth for number one between the two MJs, Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan. Did I get it right? I think you did. We're a sports podcast. I mean, Michael Jackson stuff's a little iffy, so I think you made the right choice. Okay, yeah. Honestly, if uh, if, if Michael Jackson didn't have the, the late career baggage of some of the controversy, I might have given him number one. But, you know... I'm, uh, I'm happy with Michael I think you Jordan. can make the argument he was the most talented. Like, I think he was more talented than the next person he was going against than Michael Jordan was better than the next basketball player. Right. Uh, well, that's fair, too. That's why I, I did sort of go back and forth. And I also think it was a two-man race. It was uh, all of the M's were strong, but... Uh, Michael J. Fox was too. third? Yeah, I mean... I feel like he could have been fifth. Who was fourth and fifth? Uh, yeah, like was Michael Phelps and then Michael Scott. Yeah, I feel like he could have had Jay Fox fifth. Okay, well. I feel like Michael Scott might be the third best Michael of all time. Really? Okay, well, uh, I'm sticking with uh, sticking with what brung me here, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, congratulations, Let's... Michael Jordan. What another honor for his uh, long resume of accomplishment to be named the all-time greatest Michael by the great... Cody Mount Gregmore name game. That's big. It's now Congrats, it's Michael. And now it's officially halftime. It's halftime of the alphabet and the Mount Gregmore name game. The marching band, the Florida A&M Rattlers marching band is coming out on the field. Uh, brass blaring, drums beating. What a halftime show in store. And next week, we continue with the ends. N as in Nancy Dare Nancy be number one? We hope not. Why do we hope not? It's just a crazy name. It's really just Nancy Reagan, right? That's all we have. It's Nancy Reagan, and then who else you got? There used to be a, an old-timey comic strip named Nancy uh, back in the 50s. I, I don't even remember. I just fell asleep when you were saying that. I know. I, I, I got my sleepy voice on there. But, uh, hey, Mount Craig Moore Name Game. Check back next week. All right, another record-setting Mount Greg Moore, a beautiful conclusion to our two-part series with Izzy Gutierrez, who we thank again for his honesty and, and his ability to reveal himself candidly, uh, which is um, a talent uh, and, and takes some bravery 
I appreciate everything Izzy said during that interview and his story, but I don't got time for it today because daddy's still on vacation and I'm about three white claws deep since that story started to when it ended. And, you know, can we end this thing? Because uh, I'm not on the radio at all this week. If you notice, you're not hearing me on the radio. I am on vacay and daddy's ready to get back to vacay. All right. Hopefully by the next episode, Christopher will be home and sober. So we'll, uh, we'll see you next episode. Uh, podcast family, you know by now, we really appreciate you all. Uh, anywhere you're listening, anywhere all over the world, we really appreciate you. Check back next week and, uh, and we'll be listening for you as well. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.